Galatians chapter 5, let's read our text this morning. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Let's read it together. Paul writes to the church of Galatia. Here's what he says. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh, the, for the flesh, sorry, lust against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, which I told you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts, Spirit of God. Uh, give us ears to hear and heart to receive everything that you have for us. We pray that today that not one person would leave here the same way that they came. But let us leave different and changed in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, you can be seated. Good morning, everybody. We are glad that you are here. Um, listen, I've been really enjoying this series that we've been doing over the last several weeks called Beyond the Veil. And I've been super, super excited to see uh, people in the altar seeking after God, trying to get rid of things in their life, trying to close doors to the adversary so that he may not take an advantage uh, over them. But uh, if you've missed out, go back on the podcast or back on YouTube or Facebook and you can listen and you can see that we have been talking about the spiritual realm We've been talking about the spiritual realm. We've been talking about the spiritual nature of a man. Man was created in the image of God. We are a spirit. Our spirit is eternal, right? After we die, our flesh passes away. You either go to heaven or you go to hell. There's no purgatory, no holding place. Uh, it's either one or the other. Uh, we go to our eternal destination when we die. We talked about man being a spirit being. Uh, and then we talked about the fact that in the realm of the spirit, there are good spirits, bad spirits. God created angels to be ministering spirits, to minister to those who are the heirs of salvation. We talked about their roles and some of those things. Then we talked about fallen angels, fallen angels who became demons, the scripture talks about, or devils with a lower case. And we talked about how Satan is not omnipresent, all at all time like God is, but that he has uh, legions and legions of demonic strongholds and influences that seek to uh, challenge people and to destroy people. Uh, and then the week after that, we talked about, uh, last week rather, the fight 
the faith for our fight because we're in the fight of faith. And I talked about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, girding up your loins with truth, your feet shot about with the, the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit, all of that stuff. You can go back and listen last week because we talked about the child of God needs to be on the offense when it comes to dealing with the adversary. Luke chapter 4, Jesus came out of a great victory And on the other side of the wilderness, when Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible says, and the adversary, Satan, left him for a season. Which means he would come back at a more opportune time. So we talked about not putting our guard down when we're dealing with this fight that we're in. And uh, I concluded last week's message with this, this fact, concluded it like this. A, um, we concluded it with the fact that the enemy has no access or authority in a believer's life except that which we give to him. Amen. He has no access into our life except what we give to him. And we talked about how do we do that by the things we see, by the things we say, by the things we listen to, by the things we allow ourselves to experience. And so I want to cap this message series this morning with a message I've entitled, The Enemy in Me. The Enemy in Me. Can everybody say that with me? The Enemy in me. This morning, I I pray that you have ears to hear exactly what I'm trying to say. The Apostle Paul recognized the fact that there is an internal battle raging on the inside of every human, himself included. Paul writes about this extensively throughout his pastoral epistles and, and through his other letters, and he talks about this internal enemy that all of us must fight. The Bible calls it very plainly the war of the spirit against the flesh. The spiritual nature of a man and the carnal nature of a man are always at war with each other. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but Paul makes this statement. He said, I find this law at work, and although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, my my spirit man, I delight in God's law, but I see another law that's at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Paul understood that his fleshly nature would never fully conform to God's perfect standard. And so Paul's answer to this was that we might crucify our flesh. You know, Jesus understood this because at the toughest moment of his life, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's saying, Lord, if there be any other way that I can redeem humanity outside of the pain and the suffering of the cross, because we can't forget Jesus didn't go to the cross painless. He felt every lash. He felt every struggle. He felt every burden. That's why it's so much more significant to us because he did it anyway. He he despised the shame and the pain that was in front of him, and he endured it for our salvation. But Jesus was in the garden wrestling with God. His divinity and his humanity were in a tug of war. This very thing that Paul's talking about, the war of the Spirit 
spirit and the flesh. And what does he say? He said, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. But prior to that, just moments, Jesus had went to his disciples, the ones who walked with him, the ones who experienced the miracles, the one who saw the breaking of the bread, the feeding of the 5,000. They saw the walking on the water. They saw the withered hand made straight. They saw the blind eyes pop open. They saw eardrums form in people who were deaf. They saw demons excised from many, many, many people. And yet Jesus asked them in the garden, in the toughest moment of his life, can you pray for me? And Jesus looks over and sees the sleeping disciples there at the garden. And Jesus makes this statement, can you not tarry with me just for one hour? For indeed, I say to you, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Can I get an amen, somebody? All of us in this room have experienced this. There are, 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 uh, 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 there are things in our life that we know that we should do, but yet we don't do them anyway. What is that? What is that? It's the internal raging of the war of our carnal nature and our born-again spirit. It is something that none of us graduate from. It is something that none of us ever fully get a hold of. That's why Paul, the greatest revelator in the Bible with the message of grace, says this, I crucify my flesh daily. Every day I have to put to death the flesh. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what kind of altar call you have. You can, you can pray, scream, cry, snot, all of those things. And at the end of the day, when you get up, God can deliver you from the strongest of strongholds. But if you get up and you don't change some things, if you don't renew your mind, if you don't crucify your flesh, that old flesh will come along and tempt you again and again and again. And he'll cause you to be in the same old cycle that you've always been. You know, athletes who are training for winning, maybe like the Olympics or some big thing like that, they understand that as, as they are training, many of them speak of being their own worst enemy. To be a successful athlete, you've got to overcome your mental obstacles. You've got to overcome self-doubt. You've got to have the simple desire not to take the path of least resistance. Because what do all of us do? We, we tend to flow in the area that's less painful to us. That's what Jesus was wrestling with. If there be any other way for me to do this, Father, let this cup pass from me. But an athlete, in order to win the prize, they have to be willing to crucify that which is against them and push forward to the mark that they are running to. Friends, I want to tell you, Paul knew the same thing because Paul talked about many different analogies as it comes to sports. He talked about running a race. He talks about wrestling. He talks about all of these things. And you and I, if we don't get this right, we will find ourselves in cycles of defeat. So this morning, we're going to continue to look at this because as children of light, we've got to do the same things. We've got to deny the unhealthy cravings of our flesh in order to gain a spiritual advantage. I want to remind you 
of the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Are you ready? Here's what Paul said. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. As we practice self-control, the fleshly appetites grow weaker, and we feed the Spirit, and as we feed the Spirit, those things will begin to rule. Let me talk to you about it like this. I want you to imagine everybody in this room, inside of you, as I mentioned, there is a fight going on. There's a war. Paul said there's a war within our members. James, I love the way James chapter 1 says it. He says, when a man is tempted, let him not say he's tempted of God, for God tempts no man with evil. He says, but, but yet, rather, when we're tempted, we're drawn away and enticed by our own lust. Everybody say lust. Now, we, we tend to think of the word lust in America to be only sexual, but that's not the case at all. The word lust means a strong pulling towards or a strong desire to. You can lust after all kind of things. Another word akin to lust is the word covet in the Scripture. So, this morning, I want us to, to realize that, that all of us have this internal war, and I want you to think about this. One of the, and, and I have two pit bull mixed dogs, right? So, most people, when they talk about mean dogs, they think about pit bulls. I've got my own, my own theory on that, but, but for the sake of imagination today, I, I, want to, I want you to imagine you've got two very, very mean pit bulls living on the inside of you. One of them is black, black as the night. The other one is white, white as, you know, uh, the purest of color. So, I want you to, to think about this. These dogs, these pit bulls, represent our spirit. The white one represents our spirit, purity. The black one would represent our fleshly, our carnal nature. They are constantly at war with each other. Let me ask you a question today, and I do want you to answer me. Let me ask you a question. This is not hypothetical. This is real. Here's the question today. Which one of those dogs will win the fight? The one you feed the most, right? So, you hear about these people doing these illegal dog fights and chicken fights and things of that nature. They're horrible. And, and what they do, they've discovered, is they're, they're, they're mean to the dogs. They try to make them do mean things, and they feed them. They feed them. They feed them. They make them get big. And you see these dogs that have these big old muscles. They're pretty crazy looking. I wish I would have had a picture on the screen to show you. But um, these dogs are big and muscular. And, and the truth is, the one that you feed the most is the one that will win. So let me ask you that in the midst of your spiritual battle, if you're struggling, if you're finding yourself difficult to stay on the track with your Bible reading, you're finding it difficult to stay on the track with being faithful at church, you're finding it difficult to stay on the track of, of even just sitting down and taking time to pray, then I have to ask you the question this morning, which dog are you feeding the most? Which dog are you feeding the most? Let me be honest with you. In this room today, I don't, I don't know of anybody. I may, be, I may be mistaken, and if so, I, I apologize in advance for speaking crass, but to my knowledge, there's not anybody in here who is starving to death. Even those who are homeless in America, as of right now, have access to a certain level of benefits, whether EBT card or whatever, have access to some kind of food, right? 
Now, that doesn't mean three meals a day necessarily, but I don't know anybody like some of the impoverished nations. I'm speaking about in this room. In fact, not everybody, but the average person probably eats two to maybe three meals a day and then a couple of snacks here and there, right? That's what we do. Come on, shake your head so your neighbor doesn't think I'm talking about you. Amen. We know you got them Oreos in your desk drawer. Come on. God sees it. He knows. Don't act like they're not there. Just because you don't log the calories doesn't mean they don't count. God sees everything. The scale never lies. Most Americans eat two meals, several snacks a day. That's why, you know, we have a, a, a weight problem across America. That's not throwing stones. That's just statistical. But the truth is, is that none of us like to skip meals. We have three, two to three square meals a day, a couple of snacks here and there. But yet, spiritually, we have one or two cold snacks a week. And a lot of people, I'm not saying everybody, these are generalities, but a lot of people, the average people, according to research, don't spend time in daily Bible reading. Don't spend ample. Now, when I say day, daily Bible reading, I'm not talking about the verse of the day on the Bible app, okay? Because you ain't gave Facebook the status of the day. You were on that thing five or six hours. Just ask your screen time on your phone. Talking about some out-of-context verse for the day on your Bible app. I mean, actually taking the Scripture and sitting down and reading it and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you, allowing Him to change your thoughts, to change your thinking, to fix negative patterns in your life. I'm talking about sitting down and praying to the Lord and saying, God, my life is an absolute mess. I don't know what I'm doing. I need the leadership of the Holy Spirit to help me. Most people, I'm being honest with you, are not doing that. Say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, you should counsel some of the people I have to counsel. And I'm not talking about people on the street. I mean people who come to church two and three times a week. Come on, somebody. Somehow, we've equated... Church attendance, which, by the way, is extremely important. Church attendance is extremely important. Jesus went to church on the Sabbath day. He went to the synagogues to read. Paul went. Peter went. You find that pattern. It's important. I think if Jesus did it, we should do it. But here's the thing. That's not all there is. Because if we walk out of the church and don't have a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet throughout the week we're feeding ourselves with Netflix and Hulu and the internet and all of these things that are feeding that black dog in our life and and our spirit man, the white dog, is starving for a snack at the table. No wonder that most of us find ourselves in a place of spiritual defeat. Today, I want to open up your eyes and cause you to be awakened to the fact that the fight inside yourself is real. See, this message today goes with our series, but it's the least popular of all of them. Let me tell you why. Because this message doesn't allow us to blame the devil for all of our problems. Right? Listen, I'm as charismatic and Pentecostal as they come. I believe in all of it. I have seen straight-up demon-possessed people. Seriously. Not just overseas, 
in America. I've seen people all but levitate, eyes roll back in their head, deep voice, fake tongues, all types of stuff. I've seen it all. But let me tell you something. You can cast out a demon, but you cannot cast out your flesh. You can't cast it out, only crucify it. And so this morning, I want the Lord to help us to be able to do this. Because when we realize that the devil isn't behind all of our problems, this is going to set somebody free today. Because honestly, we give the devil way too much credit. Way too much credit. I told you, he's not everywhere at the same time. All he has to do is send a little demon to entice you a little bit and just let your flesh take over. That's why if you learn to crucify your flesh, you can get the victory. Amen. The Bible says, do not be unwise concerning the devil's tactics. He has his ways, and they have not changed in any generation. They're the same in every single generation. And so this message, though it's heavy, it causes us some level of personal responsibility in our lives. And so this morning, I want us to go here, and I want us to look at this a little bit. In our text, in the book of Galatians, Paul is talking to this church that he founded, and he's warning them of several things. First of all, there's Gnosticism that's crept into the church. Paul is dealing with that. He's also trying to deal with people who got saved out of Judaism and now all of a sudden they're trying to go back unto Judaism and and keep Christ too and Paul's trying to tell them the two do not mix you're either saved by faith through grace or you're saved through the law but you can't be saved by both and so Paul's trying to deal with them in this in this mindset but then he also comes along and he's talking to the believers about the contrast of the spiritual life and the fleshly life So this morning, I want you to go along with me, and I want you to look at this. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing. Number one, number one, number one, we all have more than one enemy. We all have more than one enemy. Folks, there's a devil loose. Nobody can deny that. The Bible says that the adversary is roaring about, walking about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Satan has a plan. That plan, as I said last week, is to destroy you from the inside out. It's to cause people to not accept Christ. It's to cause people to turn their back on Christ and ultimately drag them to the bottomless pit where they spend eternity separated from God. And if the enemy can't get you to be bad, he begins to cause other things in your life that will cause you to spiral out of control. I like to say it like this. If the devil can't make you be bad, he'll make you be busy right? He'll make you be busy. But what we got to realize, while there is a devil loose and he is real, we have to understand that there is more than the devil. There is our flesh that we have to deal with. When we get saved, right, we come to Christ. We say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Redeem me. Save me. Be the Savior of my life. And we truly give our life to him. We are regenerated. What that means is our spirit is regenerated. We are made righteous in the image of God. The Bible calls that imputed righteousness. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It did not come by keeping the law. It did not come by any of those things. 
God gave us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. That is one of the great mysteries of redemption that the Bible talks to us about. But yet, uh, Paul didn't leave there and neither did Jesus because while our spirit man is, is born again, we still live in a body. We still have a soul, which is our mind, our will, our faculty, our emotions. And while our spirit man is saved, the Bible tells the believer over and over and over again that we have to put those faculties in check. And I want to tell you something today. There is a war inside each and every one of us. It's not the devil. He's already defeated. The war is our carnal nature. It is our carnal nature. And I want to give you a piece of revelation today. This is a war that I cannot fight for you. This is a war that your neighbor can't fight for you. We're not talking about praying demonic strongholds off of people. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about the works of the flesh. You have to deal with this one. Everyone must fight this battle alone. We have more than one enemy. Let me take it another step further. Number two, all of us have an internal struggle. Literally, none of us are exempt. There are some people who would like to think themselves spiritual that would say, I'm exempt from this. But even Jesus wasn't. See, temptation is not a sin. Giving in to temptation is a sin. Right? Jesus was both tested and tried. The Bible says about Jesus that he was in all points tempted like we were, yet without sin. The enemy came and tried to tempt him with the lust of the flesh. The enemy tried to tempt him with the lust of the eyes. The enemy tried to tempt him with the pride of life. All of those things. But yet, he was found of no guile. He passed the test. Jesus wasn't exempt from the internal struggle. Paul wasn't uh, exempt from the internal struggle. Here's another one. Peter wasn't exempt from the internal struggle. In fact, the Bible gives us a front row seat into Peter's fall and his restoration. All of us have an internal struggle. The Bible calls it that great war between the spirit and the flesh. And as I said a moment ago, the victory in this fight is determined by which one you feed the most. I'm going fast because I want to spend a lot of time on this last one. Here's the third one. The third one is this. We all must crucify our flesh. I want you to say that out loud with me. We all must crucify our flesh. Now, here's where it hurts. We can cast out a demon, but we can't cast out your flesh. Right? Now, they say chocolate is addictive. Do I have any chocolate anonymous people in the house who would nod your head in silence and say, I agree with that? They say it's addictive. They say sugar's addictive. In fact, what they tell you is the more you eat it, the more you crave it. Right? It's the same thing with sodas. 
Now, I'll, I'm, I'm a diet soda type person. I love Coke Zeros. But, you know, I've heard people say who finally stopped drinking diet soda that after they stopped drinking them, uh, a time went by, they went to try to drink it again, and they couldn't stand it. They didn't have a craving for it. They didn't have a desire for it. But the truth is, if you drink two a day, you want three a day. If you drink three a day, you want four a day. We have a desire for that thing to build over and over and over again. And what I'm trying to tell you this morning is whatever we feed ourselves is what we develop the craving for. That's why it's so important for you and I to realize the words of David, the psalmist, when he said, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. If you really get a taste of it, there's no, this. I know it's cliche, I know it sounds crazy, I know it sounds cheesy like the back of a Christian Hallmark card, but the truth is really the same. There's no high like the most high. Come on, somebody. There's nothing like Jesus. There's nothing like Jesus. But, but you and I have to crucify our flesh. We have an external enemy, and we have an enemy that is rooted on the inside. The truth is, you and I have to fight the battle. Last week, I told you, demonic influence and oppression comes into people's lives by open doors. Open doors. I can't tell you, before God I stand, how many people that I know through the years who have started having night terrors and nightmares after in, in just engulfing themselves in horror movies. I can't tell you how many people have begun to act out sexually perverse, adultery, fornication, whatever, after immersing themselves in soap operas and such time and time again. See, you say, Pastor, there's no harm in any of that. Well, you've got to understand Satan, which I told you last week has many different names. Lucifer, which means morning star. They call him the devil, the adversary, all those different types of things. But there's another, there's another name that the scripture gives Satan. You ready for it? The prince of the power of the air. The prince of the power of the air. Satan, when he fell, he was cast out of heaven. The third heaven. But he was not cast out of the earth completely. We talked about he's not in hell yet. He's walking around. And he has some access into the heavenlies. There's some things we don't fully understand. But we do know that he's the prince of the power of the air. Say, Pastor, how do we know that? Well, in Daniel, when Daniel was praying in Babylonian captivity, when his prayer went up, Michael the archangel went to bring down his prayer and was met in a spiritual fight by the prince of Persia, a stronghold over the region. Now, what am I trying to say this morning? I'm trying to say that there are spirits that are in the earth, seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. The Bible talks about this, and it's amazing to me that when you begin to talk about supernatural, spiritual things, most people stand at you and look like a cow staring at a new gate. Yet they'll go to Hollywood, and they'll watch Harry Potter, and they'll, they'll watch all these other spellbound shows and all of that. They don't mind watching that. But when you start talking about the spiritual realm, how things are really real, they, they want to go back to storybook Jesus on me. But the truth is, is this stuff is real. 
And if, notice now, if Satan indeed is the prince of the power of the air, does it not stand to reason that he would have influence over things that go out over the airwaves? Every song has a spirit attached to it. Every song. It either has a spirit of God attached to it or the spirit of the world. Things are the same way. Movies, different things. Hardly anything in this world is neutral. Everything has an agenda. Now, I'm not preaching clothesline today and tell you to watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do this. But I am trying to tell you we need to be more tuned to the way the Spirit of God is leading us and what we're allowing ourselves to listen to and to watch and to participate in because it gives us open doors. Open doors, right? Open doors. I want to tell you something that as Christians, we're not supposed to be able to do any and everything. Now, here's where the rubber is going to meet the road. This, what I'm about to tell you right now, is what makes me unpopular among most of my peers. What I'm about to tell you right now is what has caused many people to leave my ministry and to never come back. Here's the thing, right? You ready for it? I'm just going to put it out there for you. Christian people are supposed to look and act different than the world. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Come out from among them, be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing. I still believe Christians don't belong in bars. They don't believe in honky-tonks. They, don't, they shouldn't cuss and, and do all those things. Come on, somebody. I'm just telling you, the reason why the church is so messed up is because we stopped doing this right here. Sanctification, which is the act of being set apart for God, a.k.a. otherwise known as holiness, is thought of as a curse word. But the truth is, my friend, we are supposed to be different. You say, but pastor, I want to. That's the problem. You've not spent enough time at the altar dying to your own will and desire, putting a knife to your Isaac and letting the Lord change your desire. I don't fault anybody for coming to Christ as they are, but don't give me this stuff of I'm 20 years and Jesus understands and all of this stuff. No, 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 friend. He died so that you can have a changed life. I'll walk with anybody walking through a process, but what you've got to understand is we've got to crucify our flesh. Steve Hill was the great evangelist of the Brownsville Revival that lasted for five years. They asked him, they said, what's the greatest miracle you saw in Brownsville in five years of a full-blown revival? They said, tell us, was somebody's eyes uh, opened from blindness? Did you see somebody raised from the dead? Did you see somebody's ears unstopped? He said, nope. He said, here's the greatest miracle I ever saw. There was a man in the church who was a whoremonger. He had a cabin, with, uh, and he had a key ring full of keys. He was a very wealthy man. This man had more girlfriends than he, than he had credit cards. His wife didn't know about any of it. He got saved one night at the Brownsville Revival, walked up to the altar, put his keys in the hands of the pastor, said, I repent. He repented to his wife, and, and the reporter said, Steve, what happened after that? He said, well, the next day, a real pretty woman walked past him, and he just turned his head. He turned his head. He just turned his head. You see, you got to understand, just because you want to do it, this generation says if it feels good, do it. Do what you want to do. 
But friends, that's the way to the place called hell. It's the road to hell, one old timer says, is paved with good intentions. Man, I'm telling you, we got to crucify. You say, well, I want to listen to that. I want to watch that. Listen, I'm telling you, you are opening yourself up. Well, wait a minute, Pat. Wait a minute, Pastor. Wait a minute. Don't the Bible say Jesus ate with sinners? And, and yeah, he did. He didn't sin with them, though. He didn't sin with them. He talked with them. He didn't, pull up, he didn't pull up a bar stool and get a fifth of whiskey and go to town. He ministered to prostitutes, but he wasn't jumping into bed with them. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, you can be in the world and not be of the world. We got to crucify our flesh. This is why the church, this is why the church is not taken serious anymore in the world. We're not taken serious because we look just like them, talk just like them, smell just like them. I'm telling you, we got to be different. Got to be different. Got to crucify our flesh. What does that look like? You see, you got to understand something this morning. Let me give you some practical wisdom. Practical wisdom. See, what that looks like is making yourself be disciplined. I heard a story one time. This guy was in the bed, right? Sunday morning. Alarm clock was going off. He slapped it, turned it on snooze. Five minutes, ten minutes later, he put it back on snooze. His wife came in and said, honey, you better get up. We got to go to church this morning. He said, I don't want to go. She came back in a few minutes later. She, she got a little louder. She said, honey, we got to go to church this morning. He said, I said, I don't want to go. He said, five more minutes. Alarm went off. He slapped it again. She came in. She said, honey, you have to go to church. He said, but I don't like anybody there. She said, too bad. You're the pastor. Get up. Listen, that's funny and all, but, and I don't feel that way about you as a joke, but, but seriously, seriously, seriously. Well, maybe a few of you, but no, just, just playing. Um, but seriously, 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 listen to me, listen to me. Even as a pastor, there are things I don't feel like doing. I don't feel like getting up in the middle of the night to pray if the Lord bumps me to pray. I want to go to sleep too. People think pastors float on clouds and, you know, do crazy stuff behind closed doors. No, we put our clothes on one leg like you, our shirt on one arm like you, you know. And, and there's things, listen, there, there are days when I come to pa- passages in my daily Bible reading, which, by the way, I started in January, and I'm still trucking along. There are passages I don't want to read Leviticus. Like, I seriously don't. The begots and the begots and this and that. I, I, I just want to click the button red and just scan on by. Listen, we talk about crucifying the flesh. We, we, we just automatically think that that goes to saying no to adultery or saying no to cheating or to saying no to lying. And all of that is true. But to be a disciple means to be disciplined. Because discipline is the root word of disciple. To be discipled or to be disciplined means somebody who is consistently, repetitively doing the same thing. 
Can I be honest with you? There have been times, woke up discouraged, woke up with a headache. People don't, they don't realize how many times leaders in the church didn't feel like getting up teaching their class. Didn't feel like getting up and preaching. Didn't feel like getting up and singing. Because maybe they went through a struggle the night before. Maybe they were in a, a battle the week before. You don't understand. But what does it take? It takes a crucifying of your flesh. It takes a crucifying of your flesh to be a giver. The, the, the flesh doesn't say give 10% of your money away to God for ministry. The Bible, the, the flesh doesn't say that. The flesh says get all you can, save all you can, and sit on the can, and don't let anybody steal the can. That's what the flesh says. Get all you can, save all you can, sit on the can, don't let anybody steal your can. But you have to crucify your flesh when you've made up your mind, I'm going to be a tither. Oh, but there's this at Walmart. I could spend my tithe money on it. But your spirit says, no, nah, don't do that. Know where my blessing comes from. But your flesh says, yeah, but, you know, God understands. See, that's what I'm trying to say. There's a war in all of us. And we can cast out the devil, but you can't cast out the flesh. So, pastor, what do you do? I'm going to give you a couple of keys real quick. Here's what the book of Romans tells us in Romans chapter 12. Verse number 1 and 2. Paul writes, and he says this. Be not conformed to the patterns or the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? Every day by getting in God's presence and getting in God's word. Faith, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. No word, no faith. You've got to learn to get in God's presence. Listen, the, the key to walking in victory, yes, the key to walking in victory, I talk to people all the time, they're, 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 they're dealing with, let's say, pornography for, for, an ex, for example, which, by the way, let me just shock all of y'all, statistically, 65 to 70% of people in this room look at pornography. That's what the stats say. And it's not just men, it's women. So, let's deal with this for a second. People say, well, I just need to get the, the, uh, I just need to get the, the, the lust, the spirit of lust cast out of me. Well, <clears throat> that may be an issue, but you have to forget, you have to not forget, rather, that a part of your carnal nature, right, and a part of the nature that God, notice this, God, not the devil, because sexuality is not dirty, Right? It was God. It was his idea. He put a man, a woman in a garden naked, said, be fruitful, multiply, enjoy each other. That was God's idea. The devils made all this other stuff, men with men and women with women and men that want to be men, uh, women and vice versa, you know. Used to be it was the birds and the bees. Now it's the birds, the birds, the bees, the bees, the birds that have a stinger that doesn't, you know, it's confusing. Uh, I feel for anybody has to give the talk to their kids these days. Now the question is not, are you a male? It's, were you a male when you were born? You know, it's different. Excuse me. Got off my soapbox there for a minute. It's troubling raising teenagers in this society. I feel for you, parents, grandparents. They're dealing with stuff we didn't deal with. 
They're just not. Back on the pornography thing, right? So people come to me and they say, well, I want you to pray for my lust issue. And I say, okay, so let me get this straight. If it's a man, I say, okay, so you're asking me to ask God to take away your sexual drive so that you're not attracted to to women anymore. No, don't do that. Or, no, don't do that. Because that's not right. God put that there. The problem is, is when it's out of control. So how does a person get free from, say, a pornography addiction? Well, there's a lot of people who've dealt with it and struggle with it, but if you're transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you have to start thinking the way God thinks about it. Not the way your flesh thinks about it. You've got to start thinking about it the way that God thinks about it. That's somebody's daughter. That's somebody's son. That's somebody whom Jesus died for. Many of those people are on drugs. It promotes the sex trafficking industry. There are all types of things. And until you change your mind, crucify your flesh, and renew your thinking about things, the Bible says a dog will always return to his own vomit. We've equated repentance to, God, I'm sorry, a a snotty napkin, and we throw it on the altar, and we go home and do the same thing. Why? Because repentance is not when you cry. Repentance is when you change and go in the other direction. And you cannot make a direction change if you don't make a mind change. That's why I've called this message today, the enemy in me, because all of us deal with this. Here's the cold heart fact to reality this morning. If you're a Christian in this room, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, hallelujah, the devil is already defeated. But you still have to deal with the man in the mirror. And God wants you to live a sanctified life. Let me tell you, he doesn't want you to blow your testimony. He doesn't want you to lose your witness in front of people. You say, Pastor, are you teaching sinless perfection? Absolutely. There's nobody perfect. We all miss it. We all fall short in ourselves. But we can't forget that while our spirits have been made alive, we've got to crucify this stuff. And doing it one time is not enough. Because tomorrow morning when you get up, long live the king. And you've got to push them back down. Right? You've got to push them back down. It's a daily process. Everybody say it's a daily process. Close your Bible. Stand up on your feet with me this morning. Hallelujah. Somebody can come play this morning. Listen. um, This is important for all of us to know. One of the ways that we close the door to the adversary in our life is this right here. This is our safeguard. Because I'm going to tell you, your flesh, it naturally wants to listen to gossip. Because anytime, it's, it's true, is it not? Anytime we hear something bad about somebody else, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Am I right or am I wrong? Okay? So all of us, if we're going to close the door to the adversary in our life, we're going to have to get back to some good old-fashioned altar calls and prayer meetings where we say, Lord, I feel this way, but I don't want to feel this way. 
See, some of y'all have been so focused on casting out the devil, you've not changed any habits at home. And so because no habits have changed, then it's so easy for your flesh to just right back into the same stuff. This is not easy right here. Let me tell you, when I got saved, when I truly, truly got born again, it was not easy for me. I had to walk away from a whole group of friends. Seriously. I didn't judge them, any of those things. I, I tried to maintain some level of friendship from a distance with some of them. But I had to walk away from them because my life before Christ, when I was in a backslidden state, I was playing, in, playing music in bars. It was, it was bad music. It wasn't godly music. You say, well, pastor, you weren't in there sinning. No, I was entertaining people who were drinking and I was entertaining people who were, you know, doing other types of things. I was participating in it in one way or another. And the Holy Spirit said, you can't, you can't do this anymore. This, this life, you can't walk in that direction. And see, that's the thing, folks. There's a pull there. The flesh and the spirit. That white dog is saying, you got to serve Jesus. You got to love Jesus. But the problem is that black dog, you've been feeding him trash all week long. And so now it's easy for him to pull on your soul and to cause you to, to get into a state of being backslidden and away from God. And folks, today, I'm just simply saying for somebody in this room, it's time for you to put a knife to that thing you're struggling with. For some of you, it's, it's, just, it's the cussing. You just cuss all the time. For some of you, you just keep slipping back to looking in bad things. For some of you, it's things like, I'm not here this morning telling you're not saved. I am telling you, though, you may not stay that way if you keep on. Because I do believe the devil's ultimate goal is to pull you back. But today, if you feel conviction in your heart from the Lord, then that means he's given you a window of opportunity to get that thing right. Wrong thoughts, wrong thinking, wrong patterns, open doors, every head bowed, every eye closes.